Welcome to the official podcast of the Mount Rubidoux Seventh-day Adventist Church. Thank you for joining us on our series, Crossing Over. Our speaker for today is Michael B. Kelly II. He brings the message entitled, The Consequences of Success. God, we're just honored uh, to be able to say that we've come this far by faith. And while we still might have a long way to go, we're going to thank you for where we are and also for where we could have been, but we're not. And so, Father, right now in these next few moments, we just pray that you would open up our minds and our hearts to be able to receive readily the word that you have for us that will propel us to being able to be those children who can cross over and live in the greatness that you have us to live in. It's our prayer in Jesus' name, but everyone say amen and amen. I want to draw your attention to the book of Deuteronomy chapter 1, and I want to read verses 21 through 27. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verses 21 through 27. That's going to be on the back of your screen, the back of our screen here. And also I'll be reading from the New American Standard Version of the Bible. Here's what the Bible says. This is uh, Israel's history after the Exodus. Here's what the Bible says. See, the Lord your God has placed the land before you. Go up. And take possession as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has spoken to you. Do not fear or be dismayed. Then all of you approached me, then all of you approached me and said, Let us send men before us that they may search out the land for us and bring back to us word of the way by which we should go up and the cities which we shall enter. And the thing pleased me, and I took twelve of your men, one man from each tribe. And they turned and went up into the hill country and came to the valley of Eshcol and spied it out. And then they took some of the fruit of the hand, land, excuse me, in their hands and brought it down to us. And they brought us back a report and said, it is a good land, which the Lord our God is about to give us. Yet you were not willing to go up, but you rebelled against the command of the Lord your God. And you grumbled in your tents and said, because the Lord hates us. He has brought us out of the land of Egypt to deliver us into the hand of the Amorites to destroy us. The last two weeks, we've been talking about this idea of crossing over, and we've looked at a few things that God really wants us in 2019 to cross over from our fear, cross over from our mediocrity, cross over from our laziness, cross over into greatness. Isn't that what God has in store for us? And we said the reason that he has that in store for us is because God's not a mediocre God. The Bible says that great and excellent is his name. And so we define greatness in this way, knowing what God's will and purpose is for our lives and living in that unapologetically with reckless abandon. That's what we want to be able to do. And I want to say that very clear to us. When you know what God's will is for your life and you know his purpose, you don't worry about what people think. You don't worry about what people say. You don't worry about what they have to do because your concern is for an audience of one, and that is God. And so greatness is not a status. It's not a number in your bank account. Greatness is I'm in God's will. I'm living my purpose. That's greatness. And we leave the results up to him. 
But then we also learned a little bit, not only about, about this idea of greatness, but we said when we're living in God's will and purpose, wouldn't it be great if part of the proof that we're in God's will and purpose is if no bad things began to happen to us, if nothing got in the way of our stuff. But we learned that when you're going and walking in this life, there are going to be things that take place within your life. And here's a question for the Christian. Here's a person who's walking. When we come up to the Red Seas of our lives, we have to ask ourselves a question. Is this an obstacle? that I need to pray through or is it a closed door God's way of saying you need to stop going that way does that make sense we talked about that last week because here's what our problem is some of us are treating obstacles like closed doors you're walking away from something God wanted you to pray your way through you're giving up on something before God wanted you to say no to it the first rejection letter was not a rejection letter it was a faith building letter are are y'all following me and so, and so some of us are treating obstacles like closed doors, but then there are also those other, others of us who treat closed doors like obstacles. Like there's a reason that the person has not called you back. It's not because your game isn't tight enough. It's because God is trying to spare your life. Come on, somebody and say amen. Because he knows that if they call you back, you're going to get hooked. And when you get hooked up with them, it's going to be just a mess for your life. And so what God will do is God will close some doors so that we don't walk through because God knows what's on the other side of it. And what the challenge for the Christian is, how do I know if it's an obstacle or a closed door? So last week we said, here's a very simple, difficult, honest answer we have to give to ourselves. We know the difference between the two when we can answer the question honestly, how do we get there? See, sometimes the spouse that you have is not the one that God wanted you to have. And so now you blaming him for all the trouble. He's like, hold up, dog. He's like, that, that wasn't me. See, I closed that door, but, but, but you kept begging and you took a flight when she broke up with you and you took a flight and showed up on the door and you just kept begging and pleading and asking for sympathy, right? And all this different kind of stuff. And now y'all are hooked up. But here's the blessing that I love about God that we didn't get into last week, that sometimes we push through the wrong door. And aren't you glad that even when you push through a door you shouldn't go through, there is mercy and grace on the other side. Because some of us have been in some stuff and you are in a job right now that that was not God's original intention. You're in a relationship right now that he didn't want you in. But I love one quote that this one dear sister Ellen White says. She says that when you are truly seeking the will of God, when you're truly seeking what, everybody? The will of God, he will bless the wrong decision as if it was the right one. But that's if... you're Because let's be honest, sometimes we don't get it. We genuinely make bad decisions, but God does not curse you for a bad decision. But I'll tell you what does happen. There are consequences when you push your way through doors that God has closed. And so we have to ask ourselves, if God is the one who brought you to that place, when you come in front of your Red Sea, you can guarantee that's an obstacle you need to push your way through. But if you know, and you, all of us, we know, that you put yourself there, it's probably a closed door you need to walk away from. Does that make sense, everybody? That's where we are so far. So now we finally get to this place where Israel is about to walk into their greatness. They're about to cross over. After over 400 plus years of being in slavery, living in Egypt, they are now on the edges of the promised land. 
And they, throughout 400 plus years, have seen the hand of God. Pillar of fire by night, cloud by day. They've got the Red Sea in their history books now, where they were able to walk across on dry ground. Not only that, but they were walking through the mountains one time, began to complain. These snakes be able to come out, started to bite them. They saw God hold the snakes at bay. As a matter of fact, for over 40 years in the wilderness, here's what they saw six days a week. They would go to bed, wake up in the morning, and breakfast, lunch, and dinner was waiting on the front yard. And that thing blew their minds so much so to the point that they called it manna, which in the Hebrew means, what is this? They seen the power of God. So you would think that by the time they get to the edge of the promised land, they'd be like, yo, let's go. Like, we don't need to see nothing. Let's go in. We know our God has brought us up this far. He's not going to leave us. We're we, we good to go. But instead of them just rushing into the promised land, I mean, y'all, I, I got to tell you, if I'm set free, you can't stop me from going into where my freedom is. Like, I am running into that thing. Like, I, I'm going there full blaze. But for some reason, Moses says, hey, we're here, y'all. You ready to go? And they say, Moses, um, can we do something a little different? I know we're about to cross over. I know we're on the other side, but, but is it cool if we can just send some spies to kind of go check out what's taking place in the land? Now, I want to be very clear with you all so you don't think, Pastor, you don't know what you're talking about because Numbers 13 and Deuteronomy 1 at surface tell a different story about their concept for going out to tell the spies. Because in Numbers 13, you get the impression that God tells them to send spies. But what Deuteronomy 1 tells us is it fills in the blanks. Here's how this thing actually goes throughout Israel's history. They're up to the edges of the promised land. Everything has been set for them to go in, but they want to send in spies. And God says, it's not what I really want, but sometimes I'm going to give y'all what you want so I can teach y'all a lesson. So Numbers 13, when it says the Lord wanted them to go in there, that is not exactly what it's saying. This was not God's idea. This was God saying, okay, y'all want a king? I'm going to get you a king. All right, y'all want to spy out the land? Go spy out the land. But if you're going to do it, you better bring back the right report. But I had to ask myself this question. I asked myself this question, Kev. They're about to step into greatness. The promised land. Canaan. Why do they need spies? And here's what I want to suggest to you today. The reason that they wanted to check out the land is because they were afraid of success. See, we spend a lot of time talking about the fear of failure. But actually, psychologists have discovered that people are more afraid of success than they are of failure. And here's part of the reasons why, and we're going to set this up, because failure, when you fail, it happens one time and then it's over. But success is a process that can consistently be evaluated. And success does something to us and puts us in a place that, quite frankly, frightens us and scares us to death. And there are some of us who are so afraid of success that you couch your fear of success in proper planning. You've been planning for six years. Oh, well, you know, I, I just want to get it just right. It's never going to be more right than it is right now. But what you're afraid of is not getting it just right. You're afraid of what happens if I get it right. Hey, y'all don't believe me. Dr. Babel has this very interesting 
study that she has done, and psychologists have concurred with this, on this idea of the fear of success and how real it actually is. As a psychologist, she says, specializing in trauma and post-traumatic stress disorder, I've had firsthand experience coaching clients whose past experience feeds their current fear of success. People who have experienced trauma may associate the excitement of success with the same physiological reactions as trauma. Did y'all catch that? Like some people who have had a trauma in their life, the same kind of reaction they had to a trauma is the same reaction when they think about success. She continues, they avoid subjecting themselves to excitement-inducing circumstances, which causes them to almost be phobic about success. There is another layer to the fear of success. Many of us have been conditioned to believe that the road to success involves risk, such as getting one's hopes up, which threatens to lead to disappointment. And many of us, especially if we've been subject to verbal abuse, have been told we are losers our whole lives in one way or another. So listen to what she's saying. You've been told you're a loser, told you're not going to make it, and so you're afraid to be successful because if there's a chance that you aren't successful, then their prophecy becomes true. So rather than attempt success and let their prophecy be true, I'm just going to stay where I am real nice and safe. We have internalized that feedback and feel that we don't deserve success. See, some of us believe that because of the things you've done in your life that you don't deserve to do well. And let's be real, you're blown when some trifling people are successful. And you sitting here worshiping God and ain't successful. There's a difference between the two. One of y'all scared of success. The other one's not. Even those of us who are not abused or otherwise traumatized often associate success with uncomfortable things such as competition and its evil twin envy. I want to say something about success before I get into this text. Because this thing really messed me up, and I saw how it plays out not only in our lives individually, but even how it's played out here, even at Mount Rubino. I want to see if you know exactly who I'm talking about when I read this. An album's numbers can't always illustrate its impact, but in this case, they do. The first week out, this album sold more than 420,000 copies, breaking the first week sales record for female artists. It went eight times platinum, receiving rave reviews wherever it landed, Grammy time, nominated for 10 awards, and won five, making this artist the first woman to achieve either feat. It also became the first hip-hop album to win album of the year, introducing the genre's styling to a much wider audience. Does anybody have an idea what I'm talking about? Don't act safe for a moment. Thank you, thank you. One of the greatest albums, I'm just going to keep your hands down, ever made is The Miseducation. Of Lauren Hill. Now go, go, go on and testify just for a moment. Because y'all seen that doo-wop thing, that thing, that thing, that thing. Like, that was so dope. Like, you could press play in your CD. <laughs> and just let it go. I mean, that, that album was Legendary. Even though she had done some stuff with the Fugees and written some things out, that was a legendary album. Got one question. What's the next one she dropped? Uh, 
Another lady, album, absolutely legendary. Faith, Faith Evans. Her first album was off the chain. Won't you come over and, and, and all these different, di- di- different songs, they, they, they were tight. The Lord's just blocking my mind for the rest of them for a moment here. <laughs> He's like, no, son, don't take them too far back. But Faith's first album was incredible. But nothing after that was as dope as her first album. Because here's the thing that I'm finding out, and I want to talk about this before we get to the text. One of the consequences of success is unrealistic expectations. Unrealistic expectations become success. Because you see, what people did is with Lauryn Hill's album, it was like, Lauren, if your album had 14 tracks and all 14 were dope, the first one you drop, if the next album comes out and only seven of them are good, that's not a good album. Of course it's still a good album. That's 50% of the songs that might have been incredible, have been great, have been awesome. But because there were an extreme amount of success, there were now unrealistic expectations placed on people. And one of the things that scares us about this idea of success is now when you become successful, people place expectations on you. And oftentimes, the expectations are unrealistic because even those expectations have a warped view of what success really is. Let me bring it a little closer to home. I remember I got here in about 2009 here at Mount Rubidoux. In about 2010, 2011, I can't remember what it was. We hadn't done uh, uh, you know, a, a, a public evangelistic effort, I think, since Victory 2000, Crusade for Christ. I think that that been the while since we did. So we said, you know what? Let's do a Revelation seminar. And we called it Countdown to Armageddon. Y'all, let me tell you something. We put videos together. We had flyers. We rolled that thing out like it was uh, almost like a new movie that was coming out. Folks were like, yo, what's this? We ain't seen this before. Look at how they advertise. There were no beasts. There were no monsters. We just had all kinds of awesome, great graphics, marketing plan. And so we opened up opening night. A thousand people were here in this building on a Sunday evening when we opened up. Every single night for a month and a half. Are y'all listening to me? Some of y'all were here. Every single night for a month and a half, we had over 1,100 people to hear a Revelation seminar. It's crazy. We had a night where we baptized, and the night 71 people we baptized. We were here to almost 10.30 at night, just dunking folk in the water. Folk crying, and, and it, it, was, it was just Holy Ghost. We were like, yo, this is incredible. And, and then years and years and years go by, and somebody came up to me. A couple people actually came up to me. They said, man, pastor, man, when are we going to do another Revelation seminar? It's like we haven't done one since then. We haven't done a public evangelistic effort. Like we haven't preached, you know, enough of those things. I said, what are you talking about? What do you mean we haven't done another one? Do you not remember the age of Elohim? which was another Revelation seminar where we put out videos and flyers. As a matter of fact, we even had a video that was playing in the theater to advertise to people about Revelation. The book of Revelation was actually being played for two minutes in a movie theater before people went to the movies on one of the biggest openings of movie history. People were there, sitting there listening to that, knowing to come to a Revelation seminar. We preached every single night. We had our team set up an incredible stage. We had our flyers going out. We also did a sanctuary service where we did t-shirts and we had 
had a model of the sanctuary and we taught on the sanctuary and we preached on the sanctuary. Oh, and by the way, we also preached on Daniel. We did a whole Daniel series and we taught all these different evangelistic efforts. Well, pastor, how come people weren't coming to that? And I'll tell you why, because they got so caught up in the success of the first one that what was once applauded is now expected. So it was like, yo, that seminar was dope. But what's the next one going to look like? It's got to be bigger. It's got to be better. And it's got to blow our minds because you were successful, bro. Do you see what happens, y'all? When I first got here for the first three years, prayer meeting attendance, between four and 600 were showing up here to prayer meeting. Four to six hundred on a Wednesday in California. I'm kind of just keeping. I'm talking about success. Two Adventist churches could boast that Miracle Temple with Freddie Russell and Mount Rubida. People were talking about like, yo, what y'all doing? Y'all giving away food or something? We weren't feeding people. We were feeding them the word. No praise team. One pianist. And every now and then my daughters might lead out at like, at like seven and six. One pants. And, and that's what we're doing. Then all of a sudden, well, let me tell you what, all of a sudden, we don't even have prayer meeting anymore here. And the question is, you ask people, like, what happened? I didn't, we didn't stop changing the format. We, you know, we still taught the word of God. We still had time for prayer. We did all those things. But what was once applauded is now expected. And people are like, yo, that was cool, but what's the next trick that you have inside of your bag? Let's have a little bit. There we go. All right. And so the thing with success that we have to be careful about is we sometimes now, with this thing called success, have these very warped expectations. And I got to tell you, what happened to me. That's why this, this thing is a little personal to me. I was afraid to pull out the best stuff. Because I said, God, if I give them my best idea now, if we come up with our best idea now, it's not going to work next year. And so I got in this place where I was constantly trying to figure out not how could I be truly successful, but how could I give this illusion of success? Because let me tell you why people thought the Revelation Seminar was successful. Let me tell you why they thought Prayer Meeting was successful. It's because of the amount of people here. Now, attendance has something to do with it, but not everything. Because some people would look and say, oh, Rubido's attendance isn't what it used to be. Rubido's attendance isn't what it used to be. They must not be successful. Or what I've learned that you'll see, maybe we now are. Because sometimes success can weed out who's really with you and who was just here for the next bag of tricks that comes out. And that's why you got some folk who go to church, to church, to church, to church based on the trick that that church is putting on each week. But success, for us here at Rubidoux, I've learned 
It's not about simply who's in the building, but who's in the people who's in the building. So what success does is it brings along some unrealistic expectations. And why we are afraid of success is because deep down we know you can't live up to that. Nobody can. Not even Jesus. So I'm going to look at just two things. I only got time for two. About what Israel experiences with this thing called success and two principles that I think are really important when it comes to us understanding this thing called success. I want you to look at what happens in Numbers 13. Uh, Turn with me there, and I want you to look at verse 27. I want you to look at verse 27. I want you to look at verse 27. Numbers chapter 13 and verse 27. Will you have it? Can you say, I got it? Here's what the Bible says. Then they returned from spying out the land at the end of 40 days, and they proceeded to come to Moses and Aaron and to all the congregation, to the sons of Israel in the wilderness of Paran at Kadesh, and they brought back word to them and to all the congregation and showed them, this is crazy, the fruit of the land. And thus they told them and said, we went into the land where you sent us, and it certainly does flow with milk and honey, and this is its fruit. When you look earlier in Numbers 13, they go to the land and they pick up the grapes Y'all know the story. The grapes are so big that it takes two people to carry them. Now, have you ever thought about this for a moment? The first thing that they talk about is food. Y'all catch that? Like, yo, y'all, the land is good. How do you know? Because of the food. And they're like, look how big this thing is. Like it took two of us to carry it. It's flowing with milk and honey, all that different kind of stuff. It's great. So I asked myself the question, why are they so big on this idea of food. Like, what's so big about this idea of food? I want to draw your attention to two texts. Turn with me to Exodus 16 and verse 35. Turn with me to Exodus 16 and verse 35. Then I'm going to go to Joshua chapter 5 and verse 11. But look at what Exodus 16 and verse 35 says. The sons of Israel ate the manna 40 years until they came to an inhabited land. They ate the manna until they came to the border. To the what, everybody? To the border of the land of Canaan. Now go to Joshua chapter 5. Now I want you to look at verse 11 and 12. Joshua chapter 5 verses 11 and 12. Just follow me now. On the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate some of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain. The manna ceased on the day after they had eaten some of the produce of the land so that the sons of Israel no longer had manna, but they ate some of the yield of the land of Canaan during that year. So I want you to check this out. Before Canaan, they could wake up, go outside, and food is just there. They can pick it up, put it away, prepare it how they want, do whatever. But literally all they had to do for 40 years, I want you all to think about this. They didn't have to go grocery shopping. They didn't have to get all the other stuff. They literally had to wake up in the morning, go outside, and food would be ready. On, on Friday, they would get a double portion, so the weekend was even covered. I mean, man, they are hooked up. But now, when you go into Canaan, grapes don't just appear. You got plant grapes. You got to water grapes. You got to cultivate grapes. You've got to put your food together. You've got to work. Yeah. Yeah. And so they like, hold up. 
If that's the food, then what that means is we can no longer walk out and get the stuff we need. We actually got to work hard for it. Because here's the thing about success. And I love how this one person put this. Success is not owned. It is leased. And the rent is due every day. And see, that's our problem. And why we're scared of success. Because we want manna. We want it to come to us. We want to be able to wake up and just say some prayers and everything be able to happen for us and everything begins to fall in place. But what Canaan says is that when you're in Canaan, the success is not you getting there, it's maintaining there. And that's the hardest thing about success is to be able to maintain it because now let me tell you what has to happen to Israel. If they want to be successful and getting this incredible fruit and live these amazing lives, their day-to-day routine has to change. Y'all still not tracking with me just yet. You see, if you want to be successful and be great the way that God wants you to, you can't just do things the way you used to do them before you got to the edge of Canaan. Your daily routine now has to be different. See, you got to wake up a little early. You got to wake up early. And I'm not talking about waking up early for your job. I'm talking about waking up early for you. See, if you get up early to get ready for your job at 6, you need to get up at 5. Are y'all listening to me? Get up early, putting things in place, planning, preparing. Your routine needs to change. Before you used to drive to work, listening to the radio and some good music, now you got to put on a podcast. Get an audio book. Pour into you because now you're in success mode and you cannot let a moment slip by without maintaining that thing. It's got to be an obsession. Not just for yourself, but because you know when you become successful, God will explode you all over this world. And it's a grind, y'all. It's a daily grind. And y'all are still, some of us, are still waiting for manna when you got to plant some grapes. Because man is cool, and they loved it. But do you see the blessing that he had in Canaan? But they didn't want that. And that's the thing that's scary about success. In order to maintain it, you've got to work harder than you did before you got it. And that's why, I want to say it this way, success is available to everyone but it's not for everyone. Because not everyone can handle that day-to-day grind. Let me tell you something that I love Eric Thomas said. This thing has resonated with me so much in my life. He said, when you get to a certain level of success, it's no longer about skill. It's about stamina. Stamina. Like, are you in it for the long haul? Or do you just want to be a blip on the radar? And if I can use a very uh, business-like model, are you Facebook or MySpace? (laughs) MySpace was cool for a minute, wasn't it? But it's gone now because it didn't maintain. And so what you have to understand is that when you walk into your Canaan, 
There's no longer going to be manna, but you're going to have to grind even harder. If that makes sense to me, you say amen. Second thing that the children of Israel had, this is the last thing I want to give you today, just a little bit out of time. Here, here's what it says. The other report that they bring back is a very interesting report. As they say this in Numbers chapter 13, now I want you to look at verse 28. Here's what the Bible says. The land is flowing with milk and honey. They're right. They got all this great produce and all this great food, but y'all don't know. That means we're going to have to work now. Nevertheless, the people who live in the land are strong and the cities are fortified and very large. And moreover, we saw the descendants of Anak there. Amalek is living in the land of the Najib and the Hittites and the Jebusites and the Amorites are living in the hill country and the Canaanites are living by the sea and by the side of the Jordan. Then the Bible says that Caleb had to quiet the people before Moses. We should by all means go up and take possession of it for we will surely overcome it. That's such an important word. Now I want you to notice what happens. They see this incredible fruit, but they also see these individuals that are there and it's different than Pharaoh's army. It's different than a Red Sea that's sitting in front of you. They say, hold up, y'all. The children of Anak are there. Now, these are some people who have a reputation of being incredible warriors. Probably one of the most formidable that they would have to ever face. As a matter of fact, they got to the point where their reputation preceded them so much that Israel began to view themselves through the eyes of the children of Anak. I hope y'all didn't miss that. They viewed themselves through the eyes of children of Anak. They weren't literal giants, but they thought they were giants, not because they were so big, but because Israel thought so small. And so they said, they, we can't take this land. But I think this is so interesting. Their greatest challenge was not going to be the Red Sea. Their greatest challenge was not going to be Pharaoh's army. But it was going to be clearing out Canaan. Because here's something you need to know about success. That the further you go in success, and the higher you go, the bigger your opposition is going to be. I need you all to hear that. See, the higher you go, the more people are after you. The more success that you experience, the more difficulty you're going to have to deal from people, from the devil, from the devil's children. And I say the devil's children. We all got children, but some of us act adopted. Right? Y'all forgot who you're really from. And here's what I found. That some of us get to this place and you're afraid of the criticism that comes. You're afraid of the giants that you're going to have to deal with. You're afraid of all that comes with being now in your place. Because when you get to that place called success, there are some people that you're going to have to clear out the way. And they ain't going to move easily. A knock wasn't going to be like, okay, cool, y'all go ahead. No. We're going to give you trouble, Israel. And when you experience success, you got to know trouble is coming. When you are successful moving into your Canaan, there's a bullseye on your back. And the devil doesn't just bring out the small things. He brings out the big guns for you. And some of us are afraid of the bullseye. You're afraid of the public stage. And maybe that's what God has called you to. 
Because you're worried about some things that might happen in your life and all the opposition and stuff that's going to come and those things. And here's what I got to let you know. If you want big success, if you want success, you're going to have to deal with big stuff. There's going to be some horrible stuff that you're going to have to deal with. But here's the thing that's awesome. God, if he brought you there, has already promised you the land. So here's what I need y'all to know. It was not Israel's responsibility to deal with the children of Anak. It was Israel's responsibility to move into Canaan and let God deal with who he said he's going to deal with. And when it comes to this thing called success, we are to do our part. God, I'm going to maintain. I'm going to plant my fruit. I'm going to move forward. I'm going to do everything that needs to happen. But when these obstacles come inside of my way, God, it's your responsibility to open up that Red Sea. It's your responsibility to deal with the children or not. And God, I'm not going to be worried about how big these individuals get in my way to try and stop me from maintaining and living the success. Because the same God who brought me here is the same God who's going to keep me here. And I wish the story ended incredibly for Israel. And I'm going to end this sermon on a very sober note. But the Bible says that they got so messed up in their minds and so afraid of living in Canaan with success that they literally tried to kill Caleb and Joshua. It wasn't just like, yo, we believe different. We should go a different direction. It was like, no, we're going to kill y'all. God gets so angry that he says, I'm going to wipe out the children of Israel off the face of the planet. He thought it's ridiculous. But good old Moses, as the best pastor a church could ever have, pleads on behalf of the people, Lord, what will people say about you? You, you got to get these people over. You got to get these people over. Well, Moses, guess what? Here's what I need you to tell him. I ain't going to kill them. But they cannot enter the promised land. He said they can't. No, no, no. They, they, they cannot. Because they already showed they ain't ready for this level of success. The children of Israel hear this word from Moses, get upset, gather themselves together, and try and take Canaan by themselves. And Moses goes before them and says what are some of the scariest words in Scripture. As he looks at Israel, he says, Go not up, for the Lord is not among you. They go up, they are destroyed, the entire generation. Now, here's what God's promise was that blew my mind. God told them, y'all can't go up, and the only time your children will go in is after all y'all did. So Israel had to wonder in mediocrity even more because they were not allowed to get into Canaan because of their unbelief and fear of success. And so here's what I need to tell you today. How you handle success doesn't just affect you, but it affects the generation behind you. And there are some of us who are not leaving a legacy for our children of success because you're too afraid to do it yourself. 
God has promised it to you. He's given it to you, but you're scared to walk in it. And because you're afraid to walk in it, you leave your children in the wilderness. And that's how, listen to me carefully, we got a lazy generation now. It's not their fault. It's us. And so here's my challenge today. Let's break the cycle of success. Let's break the cycle of success and not be afraid to step out and work hard to maintain what God has given us and to understand that God, if there are challenges that are going to be greater than anything I've experienced, I know that if you gave it to me because I've been led here, I've made it through the obstacles, that you are going to keep me there. We pray that this message has been a blessing to you, so much so that you would be willing to share it as a witness. As always, thank you again for joining us and tune in weekly for more inspirational messages that will prayerfully give you a more intimate relationship with God.